I mean, I love that concept and I wish there was more of it. Uh, and maybe my perception is off or maybe I'm just not reading people, right? But it seems like a lot of people are posturing lately. Yeah. Like, this is something that she talks about. It's like everybody's like, oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm great. Yeah. When they're no, not, not, right? In not. their head is the meme, everything's fine, and their inside of their head is on fire. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, like, corporate culture has kind of created this this idea where it's like, it's not a safe space to talk about things authentically. Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Ops of Design. Today, we look at day two of the conference and discuss some of the topics Red found interesting. We look into the meaning of some of the presentations and share our personal experiences related to them. So thanks again for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this episode. So cool, yeah. So we wanted to chat today about the day two of the uh, Design Ops Conference. Uh, what was the name of the conference again? Design Ops Summit. Design Ops Summit, there we go. Yeah, 2020. Yeah. So let's say I just woke up out of a coma and the first thing I thought about was day two, Design Ops Summit. Well, how would you say uh, was the overview of that? I I missed the first session, which a lot of people spoke really highly of. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the... Um, they essentially had each of the days kind of broken out into sort of like programs or like themes for instance um i'm trying to think of what day two was day two was the resilience of design ops team so a lot of this stuff is kind of talking to like what we're experiencing i think from like covid a lot of folks going to you know work from home um uh, or the 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 shift of being in the office to going to home and stuff um there was actually really interesting topics in here, uh, and I thought it was kind of appropriate because I've been spending a lot of time thinking about um, like measuring design and measuring things within design from like a design ops perspective. Um, it was a a really good strong theme from last year's 2019. I had some really good notes from that, and then this year, day two continued to kind of like push into you know, how are you measuring the impact of design? Mm-hmm. Um, and they had some really good examples of like where they thought folks might consider looking at. Um, but like overall, you know, there was talks about like change. There was talks about resiliency through a pandemic, um, you know, talking about, you know, distributed models. So it was really kind of hitting a whole bunch of stuff um which was really nice yeah so the theme to the resilient design ops team as organizations shift grow and react to outside influences design ops teams need to adapt and pivot too i mean yeah it's like design ops is constantly evolving right just like everything we do it seems like yeah but i don't know it seems like the design ops team has 
I don't want to say more pressure. I think there's equal pressure on like a product team versus a design ops team. But it's like the the design ops team, if they don't adapt and react, then you know the inefficiencies in in the in the ops process of the team can trickle its way all the way into the product itself. I mean, would you agree or disagree with that? No, I actually think that's a really good assessment. Um, that's one of the things that's sort of a double-edged sword, kind of mm -hmm. keeps me in a job, I suppose, to some extent too, <laughs> is that, um, you know, the design industry as a whole is, you know, there's some things that have stabilized, but, you know, from my perspective, it's, it's fairly volatile. Mm -hmm. um, there are, you know, improvements to process. There are dramatic improvements and new things when it comes to tooling. Um, and then how that sort of experience interacts with like product partners, you know, and like engineering and product uh, management. So from a design ops perspective, the landscape is always changing. Mm -hmm. So what we're solving for now um, may be something that we need to be looking at again in another year or two years. And that might be for various reasons. It could be um, from the perspective of tools have improved or changed or there's new ones that are in the marketplace or the business needs have changed or you've um, you know had a lot of growth within an organization and what they need changes. So the, the, the shift and that sort of perspective of like what we're looking from, it's, it's always kind of a, a moving target. It's like, okay, we're gonna hit this thing. It's as higher, you know, our highest priority and then kind of move on to the next few things that are just like right down the road. So dealing with um, uncertainty and, you know, change is kind of baked into the role mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then you throw <laughs> a few um, landmines into the mix uh, this year, like, you know, COVID and a lot of the stuff that's happening with like, you know, um, the protests and things that we've kind of talked about before is all of this is now affecting, you know, us as humans and our day-to-day -day work lives. You know, some of us are parents. How are we juggling with that on top of it? Um, you and I both have kids and, you know, seeing how we as, you know, parents in sort of a work from home sort of model, having to juggle you know, how are they getting their education? How are we still getting our work done? How are we making sure we don't put everything off on our partner if we have one or spouse um, and make sure that, you know, everything is kind of running well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that, to me, this year has been an operational sort of Good nightmare. Yeah, I'm going to be a little, I guess, a little more gloom and doom about it. Yeah, it's it's been rough. It's mm -hmm. been a rough year um, and, and trying to keep up with that change. Um, the, the big thing that I think I saw from it was that um, having a really close connection to the team um, over the years has really helped. Uh, it's allowed me to respond to things pretty quickly because I have a number of folks I work very closely with and I'm able to kind of quickly tap into, you know, you know, kind of get check with them and mm -hmm. say, Hey, you know, what's going on with you? And as our ops team has grown, 
you know, we've had more people that are getting their insights from their different connections, and then we're able to kind of, you know, um, synthesize that information up into sort of like one source to say like, hey, this is kind of what's happening. Um, I have an interesting sort of like case study is like, you know, had some folks that were interested in, um, this is not a plug, but we were looking at Miro um, as an option to help with cross-functional um, uh, exercises and collaboration. And um, we were kind of, you know, looking at different things and having some discussions. And um, I want to say this is the early part of the year, right before COVID started to kind of rear its head. And then shortly thereafter that, it was just like, I dropped everything I was doing to facilitate making sure that this was in place for teams. Mm. So responding to change, um, it's almost like a daily thing. Right. Responding to change, adapting, helping people. I'm pretty sure you get bombarded with questions on a daily. Hey, how do I yeah. use an icon in Figma? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, the other part of it too is like, you know, we got Miro in place for teams and kind of was like, mm -hmm. okay, let's, you know, shift back to what we were focusing on before. And all of a sudden, you know, that was maybe a few months into, you know, pandemic and quarantine sort of situations. And then I started hearing um, conversations and rumors and discussions about people really struggling with feeling isolated. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, I, look at that from you know the human side of things and it's just like wow you know what can we do from an operational perspective to help support our team members you know people that we work with really closely on a day-to-day -day basis how can we help them feel more connected so you know we started reaching out and you know creating different sorts of activities and you know offering different ways of like connecting and you know it's Sometimes it works and sometimes it, you know, maybe is not as effective as we want it to be. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of like that same situation. It's like, you know, the organizational needs kind of shift and we've got to be able to respond to it. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting insight. And I do recall there was a slight uptick in these kind of um, like happy hour meetings or opportunities for people to connect and detach from work and just talk human to human, which I thought was really great. But in, in this discussion, though, it's almost as if there's like a notion of HR a little bit to this. How so? Well, more so in like the, the not management of people, but I guess the empowerment of the people and making sure that the people in these organizations have what they need to feel confident, secure, and um, have the support they need to do their job. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, <laughs> there definitely feels like I get a lot of inspiration from, you know, HR journals and articles and different mm -hmm. resources that exist out there because to me, they've, um, they've had a lot of experience in trying to crack some of this, mm -hmm. you know, under you know, various different circumstances, depending on what the need of the organization or needs of the organization happen to be. Um, and, and to me, this is where I think Dave Malouf and I've talked about this is there's a, um, there's like a couple camps of like how folks sort of define design ops. And some of them define design ops as more kind of like 
the tooling, the process, the getting shit done sort of thing, mm -hmm. which I'm very much in favor of. Um, but I'll say yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, you know, him and I've kind of discussed it, you know, from a more holistic perspective, which is to include these human aspects. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you talk about like the HR thing where it's like, Hey, are people happy and healthy and able to do their jobs effectively? Yeah. Um, are they, are they able to, you know, um, feel that psychological safety? I know we talked a little bit about that mm -hmm. in the, the previous episode. There's a lot of that that comes in and, you know, design ops and operations has a lot of influence in being able to help support and nurture that sort of culture within an organization so that people feel safe and feel like, you know, this is, yeah, you know, everything's kind of chaotic outside, but, you know, I can come in, I can get my work done. Um, and, you know, leadership and the rest of the team understands like, you know, me as a parent, I have to have really weird schedules sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I got to like, you know, block out time just so that I can help out with school and stuff, or, yeah. you know, I've got to run a kid to, you know, a doctor's appointment, you know, stuff that existed kind of prior to, to COVID, but now it's, it's more, it's more regular. Mm -hmm. So being able to kind of work with, you know, the culture within the organization to normalize that sort of stuff is, is um, reassuring and allows me to not worry about that kind of, again, back to the psychological safety. It's like, the more I worry about those things, the less I'm actually working effectively. Oh, for sure. And, <laughs> you know, we can talk a little bit about briefly, you know, with my situation recently with my friend passing, it was, it was it was mind numbing, especially you know when tragedies like that happen and someone who you viewed as strong and healthy suddenly passes. You kind of turned your world upside down, and I literally could not work. Like I couldn't sit in front of a screen because all I could think about was my friend, his family. You know how everyone was hurting, and I just could not focus on work at all. And yeah. so, and I, we've developed a culture that allowed you to be able right. to, you know take the time off that you needed to right. take care of yourself and take care of your family and make sure that you're well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I can't imagine, first of all, working for a place that said, Oh yeah, sorry. Or are you going to have that uh, project due later today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, I'll resign yeah, that like, same minute. Yeah. It's like, mm, yeah, that project I'm going to be supposedly working on is me actually polishing my resume. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, I think we want to talk about it a little bit more in depth in a future episode. So I don't want to dive deep into it too much. But it's interesting how you, you know, this notion of uh, design ops maturity, right? Like everyone kind of understands mm. the mature design maturity, right, of an organization or a team. Well, let's let's actually define it. I think it would be good to spend some time just maybe talking about it because I, I'm cautious to assume that most people do understand what design maturity is. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I just don't want to give everyone the beans right now. I want to save a little uh, bit for no, future okay. episodes. I think we could. I think we could spend a little bit of time on it. It's okay. something I'm actually neck deep in right now. So, okay. um, the way you know, Envision uh, has done some great work on helping to pioneer this this methodology or framework, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it talks about design maturity. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's essentially five, like, sort of levels to it. Mm -hmm. 
uh, let me see if I can find it real quick while I'm actually talking at the same time. The, um, the big pieces of it are essentially kind of speaking to the way teams sort of grow over time. Mm -hmm. um, initially, what you have is at your, you know, initial stage, you have, you know, design maybe teams of one or small teams where um, they're essentially creating like wireframes and design comps and stuff, maybe prototypes. Mm -hmm. um, and what happens is, and it doesn't necessarily, the maturity isn't necessarily the team size growing, but it's the, you know, the aptitude of those designers on that team. So as they become more mature, what's happening is they're becoming more versed in the types of work that they're doing and the impact that they're actually driving within an organization. So it's not just, hey, I'm a pixel pusher. It's more like, oh, you know, I'm actually like changing the direction of this product. You know, you get to things like connectors and architects, scientists and visionaries and stuff. Um, and the goal is that, you know, you're kind of building upon you know, the previous work that's happening. So, you know, design maturity, you know, in the scope of like design ops is really about understanding, you know, possibly your whole organization as an aggregate. Um, I'm also looking at it on the team by team level to really understand, you know, what are the things that this team's doing well? Mm -hmm. And then what are the things that you can actually lay down in place to help them kind of level up? Mm -hmm. So. So, I mean, from an ops perspective, is there, has anyone kind of published or shared or, or wrote anything or re relative to design ops maturity? Um, yeah, so again, the... Because um, the Envision one, maybe I misheard you, uh, was design maturity or design ops maturity? No, 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 no. It's the new design frontier. Um, mm, okay, that's okay. design maturity specifically. Okay. Um, there was some stuff that was actually published recently. I, I forget where it was from. It might've been Nielsen Norman or something, mm. um, where they were talking about like design ops maturity, Yeah. which is, <laughs> it's very meta. I can <laughs> considering imagine. I'm like neck deep in all this design maturity, but yeah, I would, I would agree. There is probably a design ops maturity as well. Well, that's kind um, of what I was hinting at, right? When you mentioned that comment about the the different frame of thoughts people have around design ops, where one being the tooling sure. and processing. I think that's yeah. like level one, right? Like that's the first thing you think of. Level yeah. two could be like what we've been talking about. Okay, does the team have the support in place to help them, you know, with their day-to-day -day job? Level right. th three or four or whatever. Okay, do we have the tools in place to work with executives? You know, I, I'm just, th you know, picking yeah, stuff yeah. out of my head, but it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, there's like probably some overlap sort of like Venn diagram of the mm -hmm. maturity model of design mm -hmm. um, and how it relates to design ops maturity. Because yeah, I, I do think about uh, that question and the way that it's like changed, you know, I guess this, this, the, this episode is about change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the change over the past, um, what's it been? A little over three years since I took this on. Mm -hmm. um, the change that we've experienced, you know, myself and, you know, my teammates that work with me in operations and, you know, our initial focus was kind of, you know, different than what it is now. Mm -hmm. You know, our team size was different. Our needs were different. Um, the way I was approaching things was different. Um, but it has, to your point, sort of grown and matured over time to be able to kind of step back and be able to, you know, um, 
select the more important things more effectively. Mm -hmm. um, stay, you know, to stay close to the pulse of what the organization needs, you know, and making sure that we're working on the most important things, we're prioritizing the most important things, and that as things are shifting, we're like constantly like reanalyzing, like, are we working on the most important things? Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely been a uh, maturity, I guess, you know, from a simple sort of definition, maturity is just, you know, growing with um, challenges and given sort of, um, environmental constraints and stuff mm -hmm. i think that's an excellent point it's, it's just funny every time we talk and i don't know if it's just because that's how my brain works but when we say things about ambiguity or constant change i mean that can be said at every cross-functional group right like engineering pm everyone's going through the same notion of adapting and changing and evolving and it's just interesting to me how each kind of area of focus handles it differently but um yeah no i agree with you um it's it's not just design i think what's changed it's the the trajectory of what's happening in design that seems so mm -hmm. much different than you know our other product partners and stuff right the change that's happening in engineering you know, you've got changes in code bases and languages and frameworks. Um, you have changes in the technology that's behind them. I mean, you know, we work in a you know a tech space where you know things like uh, virtualization are changing rapidly from mm -hmm. like day to day, um, and how engineers interact with that sort of stuff is changing has changed pretty rapidly in the past you know what five six years. Mm -hmm. So engineers are changing, um, and then from a PM, you know, product manager's perspective, the landscape is changing because, mm -hmm. you know, design has become such a competitive um, characteristic of business now that to stay ahead of or at least at pace of your com competition, from a product manager's perspective, they're constantly trying to understand you know, what the market shift needs are from their customers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I feel like it's across the board. Everyone's having to deal with that sort of ambiguity, uncertainty, and, like, shifting change. Mm -hmm. Well, luckily, from a design perspective, we have the ops team helping us wade these murky <laughs> waters. Oh, so, you give me too much credit. <laughs> there's a talk called Creating Consistency Through Constant Change, right? It's a good segue. Um, yeah. Did you listen in on that conversation? Yeah, no. Maggie had some really interesting points that I really kind of honed in on. Um, mm -hmm. There was, like, the big takeaways for me were operationalizing great ideas. Hmm. This And the second one was partnering with skeptics to gain insight. Um, the first one I really kind of wanted to spend some time with is, so... This is something that I've been working on, I think since nearly the beginning of me starting with this, was that we work in a space, designers, product designers, you know, by nature are incredible problem solvers. Mm -hmm. And what happens a lot of times is they're so close to the problem and they're so uh, 
able to quickly solve it, that they kind of do it in a vacuum mm-hmm. or somewhat in a silo, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what happens is, you know, um, let's uh, use the product library example, um, okay. you know, in Figma. So this this idea of like we have a design system, we have all of our assets that exist in, in that design system and people can use those design assets. Mm. Um, someone like yourself probably started realizing like, oh, hey, I can use the power of you know libraries within Figma and this tool to kind of build upon our design system. Mm-hmm. So instead of me having to go through and you know drag in an instance of um, uh, drag in an instance of like navigation, have to change it every single time. It's like, oh, when you're within that file, you're going to just copy and paste it like five or six times, how many times that you need it. Mm-hmm. So this idea of you're already kind of working from that library perspective to take that idea and say, you know what, I'm going to make a library of this where it's already basically contained. And I'll go through and I'll enable the different like active and, you know, uh, uh, static states and stuff. So what you've done is you've gone through and said, well, I'm going to use this because it makes sense to me. And I'm going to use this a lot. So this is where this this um, takeaway operationalizing great ideas comes in. What you've done essentially is design ops. You've gone through and operationalized something that makes your life easier, makes things uh, you know somewhat automated to some extent, to where you don't have to do a lot of extra work and it's saving you time. Put a little bit of investment in the front, and it pays off. You know the dividends for a really long time after that. So, what happens with this operationalizing great ideas is it's difficult for anyone else on that team or any of the other teams to be able to take advantage of that knowledge or that problem that you solved. So, where this comes in is being able to stay closely connected with you know folks within the organization so that when they actually do end up solving, you know some pain that they're experiencing either as a designer or as a team, it's empowering them to be able to speak up beyond like, hey, I solved this for myself. It's more like, hey, how can this solution help others? Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying, that's what we're working on building a culture of. And it's a lot of this stuff that we've put together, product libraries you and I've worked together on, like we've seen a lot of teams that have like leveraged that knowledge um, whether it was directly from you or indirectly through, you know, other product team experiences and stuff, been able to leverage that and build similar things for themselves and are seeing those types of dividends. So there's always great ideas. There's always great solutions that are floating around the organization. A lot of times it's about how do we operationalize those? How do we shine the light on them and, and scale them so that the rest of the team can actually, you know, um, get benefit from that? Mm-hmm. There's this notion in the conversation it looked like about finding your voice amid many cultural challenges. Did that resonate with you or did you have any thoughts around that? Because I'm struggling to find what that means. Um, was that in Maggie's talk or yeah. was that in one of the yeah, other talks? Yeah, it's, it's part of the session details. Let me see. What was the question again? How does a team scale and find their voice amidst many cultural challenges? Yeah, I, I don't remember. And this is where 
<laughs> recording this earlier would have been awesome, but oh, okay. um, the I'm looking back through my notes to see if there's anything that's in here. So yeah, no biggie. It's just out of everything that that would seem to be the something I'm not really grasping. Yeah, I'm means. not sure about that one either. I don't have anything specifically in my notes that speaks to that. So. I mean, off the bat, it would seem like how does design ops position, position itself in, you know, an organization and, you know, provide value to the team. But again, I could be yeah. totally off. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Was there any other talks that really stood out to you? Yeah, well, the, the other part that I thought was interesting, um, the, the other point that she had made. Mm-hmm was talking about partnering with skeptics to gain insight. Mm -hmm. um, this was something that I hadn't thought of before, which is um, it's so in design, I think in general, maybe just as humans, we tend to look for people to support our ideas to you know not feel as if like, oh, this thing that I'm thinking you know, is it a great idea? Let me see if I can find other people that will agree with me. Mm -hmm. um, it isn't until you get people that don't agree with you yep. or maybe partially agree with you that you don't have that. It's when you connect with those people that you get the opportunity to potentially improve your idea. And 100%. To me, her point about partnering with skeptics to gain insight was... Um, it's, you know, somewhat of an echo chamber if you're just talking about people that are like, you know, shaking their heads like, yep, yep, that's a great idea. Yep, that's a great mm -hmm. idea. It isn't until someone comes in and says, no, I don't know if this is a great idea because of all these other factors. And generally those factors are potentially perspectives that you would never consider. Yep. Or maybe it's a cross-functional thing where it's just like, well, that makes sense for you, but here's how that changes things negatively for me. Mm -hmm. So that's that was something that I felt was really interesting to kind of step back and think about, like always getting people to agree with you, isn't going to be good. You know, mm -hmm. getting people that challenge that status quo or challenge what that solution is and say, well, yes. And how about this? So, um, I thought that was an interesting point. No, something definitely. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about, I guess I look for, that in people not necessarily looking specifically for the skeptics but if people are just like yeah this is great i'm like okay so what can i improve about it mm. you know what i mean <laughs> i'm yeah. always looking for that edge of this isn't perfect i know it's not perfect but i'm too close to it to see where are the areas that it can be improved and i need you to be candid with me and really like poke some holes in this so that we can improve it so I don't know, maybe it's just the way I've kind of developed myself over the years. No, I mean, you have to be like that if you want to be successful as a designer, right? Like you have to, you have to find everything that's wrong or find, like you said, the perspective that you don't have. And I, I agree with this concept wholeheartedly. I, I just, I don't think I ever framed, or framed it or looked at it from that perspective of, of thinking, you know, I need to find the skeptics. Like you said, yeah. we just we we try and talk to as many people as we can, and anyone who says, "Oh, this is great," okay, what else can be improved? I mean, it's not the same as 
point directly to someone that said, I don't like it. I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. And that well, and would it, be yeah, <laughs> if somebody actually did come and say that, be like, okay, cool. Let's sit down and spend a few minutes. Yeah. Let me understand your perspective. What's yeah. not working? Exactly. What would it What would it take for this to work? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's kind of like get their initial insight of what they think is broken, but then push them to be like thinking more constructively. You know, solution minded. Like, okay, well, what would make this work mm -hmm. for you, for us, for that sort of situation? So. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, there's so much value to that, even outside of design ops and just design in general. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, the, you know, kind of on this, on this wavelength of like change, there was um, uh, another talk by Patrick and uh, about the approach to like project prioritization and measurements. But one of the points that he had made in this that I felt was really helpful, and it kind of speaks to you know, the tagline on the show is he was talking about the more friction that design ops can remove from activities will free people up to do better work. Mm -hmm. And you know, thinking about the idea of constant change, change is introducing friction constantly. So we're essentially <laughs> trying to shovel water in a lot of cases. It's just like we're not getting anywhere at a lot of a lot of points where it's just like, hey, here's this change. All right, let's try to remove that friction. Oh, wait, there's another change. We're going to remove that friction. Oh, we're going to. So back to what I was saying before, it's like um, somewhat uh, a double edged sword because it's like it's never ending, but there's also no shortage of opportunity. Um, and I thought it was I thought it was really great to hear other leaders within the industry kind of talking about this idea of it's reducing that friction, reducing that point or those those points that they're experiencing that are keeping them from being able to do their best work. And sometimes this is a tooling thing, sometimes this is a process thing, sometimes it's a cultural thing. You know, sometimes it's a you know, policy thing, who knows what it is, or governance, whatever it might be. There's a lot of things that kind of fall into that camp. But ultimately, in my mind, it's like when we're able to remove that friction, then people aren't spending as much time thinking about or doing the things that are keeping them from doing the work they want to do. Yeah, I mean, when you said that change is inevitable, I, I don't know why a, a famous quote popped into my head, but I can't remember the quote. <laughs> Some, someone will find it for us I'm sure it's on the internet the, yeah exactly the internet go <laughs> um, The there was another talk um, and I'm probably going to not do their name justice I want to say it's Ariba they're talking about uh, team resiliency through pandemic and this kind of gets back into the human aspect of things and one of the things that I looked towards was, you know, kind of speaking back to the people that were feeling, you know, disconnected. So there's another part of this that we kind of touched on, but I want to like point to it very specifically, which is that because we're dealing with, you know, working from home in a pandemic with all of the, you know, protests and social justice that's going on there is an inherent amount of stress that's there 
And then you layer in the fact that our capacity to work is somewhat diminished, but our demand for work is, is still the same, if not increased. So there becomes an imbalance. And what's happening is people are getting burnt out. Yep. I definitely agree with that. So, you know, one of the things that they were talking about in this was like being being self-aware. I mean, that's that's a whole topic unto itself. <laughs> but being self-aware to recognize when uh, you know, what are the signals for when your battery charges low? They use this really great analogy of like, you know, the the battery like on any of your, you know, um, your devices or something along those lines. Like when it gets low, um, what are those signals? You know, within me, it's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I start thinking about, it's like, you know, my eyes get tired. Uh, mm. I feel like it's harder for me to think or sometimes put things into words or I find myself rambling somewhat incoherently or something. <laughs> um, you know, there's also, you know, the, the more sort of uh, long-term effects of feeling like, you know, the stress in my shoulders or oh, yeah. feeling like um, that low level anxiety starts to ratchet up a few degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's being able to recognize these things within yourself, these signals and that are pointing to a low battery. Um, and then the, the partner to this was like, what are the things that help you recharge? You know, what helps you recharge your battery? And I thought, okay, you know, this feels like it's just really basic, almost kind of common sense, but I feel like what we're all experiencing right now is just living through the motions of things that are going on, not realizing that we're getting bombarded by, you know, things in every different direction. And it's a matter of taking a step back and figuring out like what can I do to recharge and I like after this talk I spent a few minutes actually kind of thinking about it and I was like you know what the things that help me recharge are when I'm like completely disconnected so it's like you know going for a walk through the neighborhood or going for a run or meditating or it's like um maybe doing some yard work for a little while mm-hmm. you know trimming the trees or raking leaves or something along those lines it's literally disconnecting. And I talked to some of the folks from our cohort and, you know, they were talking about things like reading a book, like a physical book, um, you know, doing things like maybe like, um, you know, cooking or, you know, get outside and run an errand or something along those lines. So the idea is to kind of be aware of when your battery is getting low what are your signals? What are the things that are triggers or not necessarily triggers, but like indicators that you're starting to kind of fray <laughs> and then think about like, what are those things that you can do to kind of help bounce you back, you know, take a break, uh, take a hot bath or something, go for a walk, spend some time with your kids, helping them with their, with their homework or something along those lines. Um, if that's something that recharges your battery, it doesn't stress you out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to meet the person who says, I like to relax by helping my kids with their algebra. Uh, you know what? I actually get some, maybe some bizarre sense of like satisfaction from helping my kids with their math. <laughs> yeah. 
they're of that age where like watching them like get things in math is uh, it, there's something priceless about it and being able to be there for that you know working as much as i do it's it's getting those times with you know kids to see them kind of get those aha moments and you're just like mm -hmm. oh, yes i was there for that that's awesome so well wait yeah, till it's, you, uh... it's, it's not always like that but i hear you yeah, that's what I was going to say. Wait till you get to the point where they're putting work in front of you. You're like, what is this? I, I don't recall doing this. I got A in algebra, but I, I, I fail I was, right now. Yeah, I was a math geek. So I'm, I'll, <laughs> I'll happily accept that when, oh, yeah. time, when the time comes. <laughs> yeah, not me, no. Definitely not a math geek. In some weird uh, way for me, disconnecting obviously is helpful, but creating. Um, you know, we've talked personally and all the things that I do on the side really help me recharge work. Because I think they fuel my, my my creative endeavors and my creative passion to create things. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, you you do a lot of like creative stuff outside of work to help you with, and I honestly I would say that those are probably ways to help you stay recharged. Mm -hmm. so keep that me you're inspired. Not feeling burnt out. Yeah, keep you inspired. Bring ideas. There's oh man, there was some there was somebody that had talked about this a long time ago, several years ago at a design conference. They were talking about cross-pollination between different, um, like, creative uh, avenues. So it was like working in some other medium and being able to kind of, like, bring over the concepts or the methods from that over into what we do in design and how all of a sudden you start, like, connecting different parts of your brain to create unique, like, creative um outlets and ideas and stuff i was like that's actually really fascinating yeah i think they'd use stuff like music and like painting and woodwork and oh, i wish i could find that talk it was really cool yeah that'd be awesome if you could find that we could put it in the show notes whoop, whoop. <laughs> um the other thing i want to talk about on this too was that there's a uh, they talked a bit about creating or like cultivating like team rituals and norms, um, and specifically back to this this idea of, you know, um, recharging, self resilience sort of situation, was checking always through your team. Like say, you know, we're heavy Slack users, so it's like, hey, you know, whether it's the end of the day or the end of the week, like checking in and being like asking a couple questions. Say, hey, where's your headspace? You know, are you you know, emoji smiley face, or are you emoji like pulling your hair out sort of situation mm -hmm. to kind of understand like where are people at that given point? And then also, you know, asking them like, where's your battery signal? Like, are you in the red? Are you in the yellow? Are you in the green? Um, to kind of get some sense so that, you know, as a team, you can understand if somebody is constantly saying like, oh, hey, I'm really stressed, I'm really stressed, I'm really stressed. Like, what can we do as a team to support that person? You know, from a leadership perspective, could you come in and, you know, try to figure out how to offload some of the work that they're taking on so that they, they're not getting burnt out? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. That was my question. I mean, does it make sense for just, you know, a parallel colleague to do that? Or is that something more of a manager? Should, should do that does to it me, matter i think i don't know it's something i've wanted to try I, I would really be interested to hear from folks that have actually done this but mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's more effective as a team mm -hmm. um i think there's 
I believe that there's a lot of power in being authentic about your experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. It really builds a lot of space for vulnerability uh, with that authenticity. And also with that vulnerability and authenticity, you're also uh, creating trust. Yeah. With trust, you're able to build and move and navigate and respond a lot more effectively than if everyone's just kind of like, oh, I, Brian's being a bit of a you know D today or something. And, well, that's, yeah. That happens a lot, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, I love that concept and I wish there was more of it. Uh, and maybe my perception is off or maybe I'm just not reading people, right? But it seems like a lot of people are posturing lately. Yeah. But like, this is something that she talks about. It's like everybody's like, oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm great. Yeah. And when they're no, not, not, right? In their not. head is the meme, everything's fine, and their inside of their head is on fire. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, like corporate culture has kind of created this this idea where it's like it's not a safe space to talk about things authentically. Mm -hmm. You know, I've gone out on a limb on several occasions to kind of talk not only you know with the folks in the cohort here about my experiences over the pandemic and mental health and stuff but also like with my team uh and even more recently like with my mom and like breast cancer and stuff i just mm -hmm. like you know what this is what's going on in my life this mm -hmm. is what's going on with me personally this is how it's affecting me because i think ultimately somebody has to open that doorway somebody has to be vulnerable and actually start creating space for other people to be vulnerable and then with that vulnerability you get that authenticity um and then you get a lot less of the like hey how's it going oh i'm great and it's more like oh, i'm really struggling mm -hmm. unfortunately we've normalized the like everything's great sort of like culture in you know corporate spaces and stuff that the idea of like this is what's really going on for me right now mm -hmm. it's not it, like people are afraid of it like oh i would love to talk to you about like you know what's going on with you know x y and z but uh, it feels somewhat taboo and and it's silly <laughs> no it is silly and i mean even take it from me right you know i you grew up playing football you know I, I had military aspirations growing up i wanted to be in the military so when it comes to uh, the emotional state and the emotional health of people. A part of me for a long time was suck it up, get over it, you know, keep marching and get the job done. But lately, more and more, um, you know, I think it is healthy for people to to take a layer, peel a layer back to someone, right? And, mm -hmm. and you know, you've heard it plenty of times before, right? Get it off your chest, you know, speaking things out and then getting that energy out of your system goes a long way in helping you. So yeah, there's times yep. where you need to just suck it up and just get the job done. But there's also an equal amount of time where you need to reach out and ask for support or just share how you're feeling with someone um, in, the, in the work environment so they can help you yep. get over something or find a way to, to be less stressed. Like you said, right? Manager, take the load off or just mm -hmm. be open and honest and speak about it. Don't, don't say you're fine when you're not. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a lot to be said about having that vulnerability. There's also a lot to be said about reciprocating on that too, mm -hmm. which is, hey, if somebody's actually going to peel back that layer and share a little bit about them, like create some space for them. 
be mindful and present to like what they're sharing with you because that's not something that's done often right you know and if they're choosing to be that way with you that means that they view you in some way they feel like they can be safe so respect mm-hmm. that of course you know yeah. i'll be sitting there checking emails and like you know <laughs> slacking and playing on your phone or sort of dismissing like what they're experiencing yeah. it takes a lot of courage to like come to that place but it also takes some courage too to you know to receive it as a person and be like hey you know my friend's really struggling because his friend passed away yeah. like you know how can i be there for them yeah, for so sure. Yeah, I mean that's a <laughs> that's a huge cultural problem outside of design ops. So. <laughs> Maybe design well, ops can solve it. Yeah, again, this kind of comes back to that holistic perspective of design ops in my mind. Like we do have some responsibility in helping to shift a culture to being able to normalize some of this stuff, mm-hmm. so that people feel safe. Um, because again, that kind of points back to the psychological safety is you know what can we do to create sort of rituals within teams so that people feel like it's it's okay to talk about these things because it relates to us being able to be more effective it relates to us being able to support each other uh it relates to us being able to reprioritize things if we need to you know um it's yeah the transparency and authenticity is is really valuable for teams yeah, no, I definitely agree. So it's great that they talked about and touched on that a little bit. There's a couple of things that I want to touch on a little bit more as far as like this idea of, you know, dealing with change. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Anna from uh, Duis was talking about, you know, remote design team sort of scenarios across different countries. Um, I thought that the, 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 the talk itself was really insightful and pointed to some really helpful things. So one of the things that I did well for a while, you know, uh, pre-COVID and have restarted again, you know, in the recent months is this idea for allowing for deep work every day. Um, they use they use the term deep work. Um, for me, it's, it's kind of like uh, I forget where it comes from. It's like a maker manager schedule. So for me, I go in and I schedule time in my calendar where this is like, I'm going to work on this given priority for 90 minutes mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And it's something that's in my calendar so that other people can't book over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it allows me to stay focused through that. It also allows me to stay focused on things that are a priority instead of just responding or reacting to the given events of the day. I'm not great at it. I'm getting better over time. But I noticed when I started putting this back in my practice that it helped reduce my stress. It helped me feel like I was making um, progress towards the things that I had set out to do. So it's like, hey, here are my top you know, five priorities this quarter or whatever it happens to be. If I just keep responding to or reacting to the day's events, I'm never getting to those things. So this idea of like spending, you know, an hour and a half here first thing in the morning, another hour and a half, follow that on something else. Like I'm constantly kind of chipping away at those things, making progress against those. 
and then the later part of the day is you know I set aside time open up time for like meetings and ad hoc stuff that kind of pops up or support I mean that's an excellent I mean I used to do that in a way where like an hour I'm going to focus on this story this next hour I'm going to you know build the library and then the rest of the day can be for meetings so it's more like you know consciously making a decision to be proactive versus reactive yes is super helpful but i i have to be honest i'm struggling with it right now and i'm trying to get better at it yeah um in that talk she talks a little bit about that too which is there's <laughs> there's another cultural norm or maybe misnorm however you want to however you want to pronounce it but Essentially what it is, is that um, there seems to be this badge of honor to be busy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And I completely yep. agree with it. And, and even more so, it's generally an indicator of like poor planning. Yeah, I can see that. So... You know, what she was saying is that, like, being busy is a clear indicator of not planning well. And I was like, oof, that just hits you in the gut. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's like yeah. if you as an individual or you as a team are not planning to take on things effectively, you're probably taking on more than you should be, which is making you much busier than you should be. Mm -hmm. And then by turn, stressing you out, um, you know, draining your battery. <laughs> And, 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 and. So this idea of, you know, um, setting aside like deep work or, you know, maker time while also pairing it up with, you know, effective planning helps to kind of keep your focus while also keeping stress levels, while also, you know, making sure that you're working on highest priority type things. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I don't know what my badge of honor is right now or what I'm trying to wear, but it's definitely not to be busy. <laughs> I'm probably cynical in the sense I'd rather be completing or creating versus constantly being busy. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that perspective. Um, I know for probably the first couple years I lived in that, that busy loop and I had that badge of honor, honestly, about it. It was like, oh, if I'm really busy, mm -hmm. then people will understand like all the things that I'm doing, um, which isn't actually true. Right. No one has <laughs> any idea. Yeah. What about? Um, but, is there a difference? Sorry, is there a difference no between being busy and being slammed? Or is it the same thing? Just I don't know a millennial way of saying it. <laughs> To me, I feel like they're the way I would define them. They sound the same. Okay. I don't know that there's a difference. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just a different word to try and emphasize the severity of that busy. Mm -hmm. um, it's like saying three varies and something like this is very, very, very hot. Like, <laughs> no, it's just hot. <laughs> <laughs> the word hot actually gives you enough like <laughs> emphasis. Well, what level um, are know, hot? Three berries. Yeah, I know. Three berries in front of it. Nuclear <laughs> hot, lava hot. Solar. Very, very hot. lava hot. Um, <laughs> yeah, but to me, it's like 
the the idea of being busy um i think i outwardly you know projected that mm -hmm. to try and help people understand it's like there is so much going on in design ops the opportunities and challenges that we're facing that i'm unable to tackle at all mm -hmm. so it it kind of worked as a double-edged sword some people realize like hey we need to get more support into ops and into design ops um we've hired folks and we've kind of done that and there was also the flip side of it which is it can turn people off it's like hey here's this person that's like constantly busy they're obviously not planning well yeah well what about the flip coin where people say i'm busy to use it as a mask to not have to work on something to not have to speak with somebody oh <laughs> that's a touchy subject <laughs> i don't know i don't really operate that way so it's hard for me to really speak from that person's perspective i tend yeah. to be pretty much like you know you see what you get sort of situation so uh i would have to speculate pretty highly on that one yeah yeah i don't blame you um Anything else that stood out day two for you? Yeah, um, this touches back a little bit more on that, like helping you recharge kind of self-resilience thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it was towards the end of the day, uh, Allison Sanders was talking about like operating with purpose and stuff. And this is something, there's a couple takeaways I thought that were really helpful from this. One was... Um, if design ops people are taking care of other people, who's taking care of design ops? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this really kind of points back to this like self-care perspective mm -hmm. becomes really important. You know, if we're taking care of the team, um, you know, the only people who are going to take care of us are generally us. Ourselves, so yeah. getting getting uh, versed in understanding like what your signals are and what you need to recharge uh, becomes really, really critical. Uh, something I learned, you know, from my therapist years ago was like, you know, as a parent and as a partner in, in you know, relationships and stuff, it's like, I can't really effectively take care of or be there for anyone until I'm taking care of myself effectively. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. essentially bringing myself to the table at like 50%. So That's when true. I'm able to kind of bring myself to the table at 100%, then I can do a much more effective job of being there for other people. Mm -hmm. So I relate this very closely to, you know, what we do in design ops. It's, it's, if we're burnt out, it's going to be really difficult for us to take care of other, other people on the team. That's so true. So it's like you're going to dog food your own. Exactly. <laughs> your own practices and processes <laughs> that you're implementing. Yeah, exactly. Practice Making what you sure preach. That you, yep. Dog oh, food, sure. for sure. Make sure that you're planning well, making sure that you're, you know, staying on top of your self-care, making sure that you're setting aside, you know, maker time and working on, you know, your top priorities and making you know, progress towards those. Um, another point that she made, too, that I thought was really helpful, too, is making time for one-on-ones. Um, that's the thing I've appreciated, I think, over my career is one-on-ones become somewhat normalized, mm -hmm. um, but it's generally like hierarchical. Mm. 
And it's like, oh, I meet with my manager, I give him a status. And, you know, if I have a good working relationship with my manager, you know, I'll tell him a bit about like what's going on in my personal life, you know, have that, that those moments of vulnerability and authenticity. Um, but the thing that I like that, that, that she pointed out that I agree with, and it's something I've been wanting to, you know, develop more of a culture within our organization and just kind of in the industry as a whole is make times for one-on-ones with like colleagues, like lateral sort of mm-hmm. situations, like you and I getting together and just like chatting, mm-hmm. just be like, Hey, let's catch up. Um, maybe it's personal, maybe it's work, maybe it's a blend of the two. Um, Scott, who's on uh, the Clarity team, you know, him and I had a one-on-one, uh, it was probably a couple of weeks ago. And part of it was just like catching up. Part of it was, you know, what's going on with Clarity. Um, it was somewhat reminiscent of when I was on the team and stuff. And the thing I've thought about in talking to some other uh, design ops folks in the, in the, in the uh, industry is that this intentional scheduling of time to connect with people one-on-one um, is really, really powerful, especially what we're experiencing right now in the pandemic. It's, it's you know, we're constantly like connected in, jacked in <laughs> <laughs> into like work that there isn't the water cooler, there isn't the you know, uh, serendipitous walk by, you know, hey, follow me to my next meeting, let's catch up sort of situation. Like that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So we have to be intentional about creating those moments of connection so that we can feel like people are, you know, still there kind of in our space. Um, it's it's something I've thought about like over and over again. It's like, how could we operationalize something like that? And it just it just feels like, such a like monumental task to figure out like um i think in uh, i want to say maybe one of the design ops pods or something that i'm a part of they were talking about this and they, they mentioned oh there's like a slack app uh slack like plugin or something like that that you can use where it'll go through and it'll like pair together like two slack users at a given time it'll almost kind of like um randomly generate like these connections and i was like that's actually a really cool idea you know operationalizing this idea of connection so that you know me as an office person doesn't have to go through and be like okay here's my you know 300 people team and i've got to go through and map out all these different connection points and then Mm -hmm. you know joe and samithra are going to meet you know on this given day and then you know brian and scott are going to you know meet on this day and then Janet and, you know, FIFA are going to meet on that day at this time, you know, like all of that cherry picking, like that's going to be really impossible to like manage. So um, that kind of puts the onus back on us as individuals to be like, hey, you know, it's okay. And also encourage for you to go connect with people one-on-one. Yeah. I mean, I I like that IMOC, I I coined that term now, intentional moments of connection. Um, Ooh, look <laughs> at you! That that that's um, you know, when when I first started working remotely, one of the struggles was communication. You know, how do you yeah. stay in the loop uh, in these offhand conversations, these hallway chats? Um, but you know, even at a high level, just period, right? Like, how does everyone stay aware? What you're doing? How do you stay in the loop? And the one thing that I always subscribed to was this notion of as a remote person over communicating right over communicating your work your progress 
your intentions, et cetera, et cetera. I could never really coin how to solve for that notion of those um, those interactions in between meetings, you know, after work, before work, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's very interesting. Like you said, inter intentional moments of connection yep. really kind of help facilitate that notion of water cooler chats. Yep. Yeah. I've wanted to take this uh, a step further. Um, I was kind of bouncing around some ideas with another designer and what was the term we called it? Um, oh shoot, of course I'm not gonna remember it now. <laughs> um, it was essentially, so, you know, in a given day, you know, some of us maybe were in back-to-back -back meetings all day and then it's backed up against our maker time, assuming that you're scheduling it. Um, maybe you don't have any downtime and it's just like from the time you start to the time your, your day ends, you're just toast. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, I have periods of sort of like downtime and this concept of kind of, um, you know, I mock as you used it, I thought, <laughs> how could we leverage that from that perspective? And what I thought would be interesting is to create intentional water cooler experiences. Maybe it's a Slack channel or some other means of communication, but to basically come in and say, hey, um, I'm, I've got some downtime for the next like 45 minutes and I'm gonna be in Zoom if folks wanna like pop in and just like say hi, you know, catch up. Yeah. So it's like like almost an ad hoc like one on one or one on you know multiple. Not um, scheduled. It's not a meeting on your calendar. It's it not scheduled. It's came it's, up randomly. it's yeah. It's just a random like hey I'm gonna be free for thirty minutes if somebody wants to you know pop in and we can like you know shoot the shit or something. Um, it's something I've been wanting to do and I just haven't had the bandwidth to actually get it off the ground. So maybe I'll do that when I get back from uh, PTO. But to me the thought is. Some people will participate, some people won't, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But it's it's an opportunity to create another, you know, like you said, another IMOC. Yeah, me and my personality type, I'm more inclined to join those spontaneous, random um, moments versus something that's on my calendar. Yeah. So, yeah, that'd be interesting to see how, how that comes to play. Yeah, and I think I want to, like, pair both of them. Mm -hmm. You know, like, reach out to folks and just be like, hey, let's meet on a Friday from, you know, this time at this time and we'll just catch up. Yeah. Um, and I, and I tend to try to do my one-on-ones, um, on f over the phone instead of over zoom, just to give me that additional opportunity to sort of disconnect. Yeah. That but makes sense. Pairing it with, you know, this sort of, uh, ad hoc water cooler time. It's like, Hey Brian, you're, you know, you're busy, but, you know, Scott, he might be free and he sees that message and he's like, oh, yeah, I've got like 20 minutes. I'll pop in and you know, mm -hmm. chat. Um, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's an idea. <laughs> I'd be curious to see if anyone else is doing it or if they've had success with it. But yeah, that would be interesting. interesting. Yeah, to trial run it. See if we get some yeah. participation. Yeah. So it's about, you know, addressing what we're experiencing, you know, as far as like a changing workspace. Mm -hmm. um, it's all really important to everybody in various degrees. You know, how do they stay connected? How do they feel like, you know, they're not just kind of drifting back into the shadows and disappearing sort of thing. Well, yeah. I mean, all this is uncharted territory to a certain extent, right? I mean, it's not like remote yeah. work didn't exist before COVID, but uh, at the scale it's at definitely 
hadn't existed right. before. So, you know, I think everyone's trying to find these, these practices, these processes or these exercises that can work and for the health Different of the ceremonies. Yeah. yeah. Different rituals. Yeah. No, this was, uh, it's, I, I honestly enjoy talking about this stuff because to me, design ops is, is well beyond the, you know, here's how you optimize your process and here's how you effectively transition tools. Like that's all really important stuff. But at the end of the day, like we are not machines. Yeah. We are a human system. We're not a mechanical system. And right. the human aspect of that needs to be addressed. Yeah. I mean, all the technical and tactical stuff is particularly easier than the human side. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, I yeah. I mean, if you're looking at it from the high level, I would say that. Once you get down to the minutiae and you know, what you need to be done, then yeah, there's an argument for it. But there's so many variables that, that come into play when you talk about the human aspect. There's a lot of gray yeah. areas. Whereas, you know, where, whether you're deciding between Sketch and Figma, you know, you have your boxes to check and then yeah, you go down that path. So that's kind of the analogy. It's, it's another thing. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Because it is like from one person to the next. Um, you know, people's needs are different. Mm -hmm. Their, their perspectives are different. Yeah. Um, and with us being, you know, global teams, like the culture is different. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of variability that exists in there. So what works for one person isn't going to work for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. And there you have it. Another episode in the books. Tune in next episode, where we'll cover day three of the Design Ops Summit. And just like we did in today's episodes in the last. We're going to touch on the topics we felt were important. So thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.